Turn in your Bible to two passages, one very familiar and maybe one not as familiar, uh, Matthew 28 and then Matthew 16. Matthew 28, Matthew 16. Uh, and while you're turning, I think you, how many of you are, uh, what do you call it, multitaskers and uh, can do two things at one time? What is that? Multitask? That's it. Yeah, you, you can pray and turn in your Bible at the same time. So I'm not really good at multitasking. In fact, Beverly sometimes wants me to multitask. I'm tasking and she wants me to task with her and I'm, I'm not listening. Uh, so I have to, I have to shut down one thing to do another. Lord, we thank you tonight for the word of God and we just pray that it would bring much fruit in our life. And Lord, let the Word of God come alive in us. and Lord, help us be disciple makers. Lay your hand on your heart tonight. And let's just write up front. Say, God, help me become a disciple maker. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. As you know, our Sunday and Wednesday emphasis for the past, gosh, three or four weeks has been the disciple makers. Uh, and uh, about about three Wednesday nights ago, I introduced to you uh, really the outline of our Wednesday night series. I didn't quite at that moment realize it was the outline, but then when I looked at it, I said, "Man, I need to I need to uh, uh, expound upon this a little bit." And so it became a really good outline. Uh, in fact, I'm excited to to tell you that next Wednesday night. I'll be in Mexico drilling our last official scheduled trip uh, to drill water wells in Mexico. I'll be there on Wednesday night, as well as I'll be, it's a unique schedule. I'll miss Sunday too. This is not this coming Sunday, but the following Sunday. So next Wednesday, Jim is going to be speaking from this same topic and outline, uh, and I know he'll do great. Uh, and, uh, and then Father's Day, I, I just I couldn't get around the schedule. Our team had a unique requirement, and so I'll be coming home late Father's Day evening. Uh, and so uh, I hope my kids can wait on me and don't have Father's Day without me uh, because I love, I love to be with my family. Anyway, so that's kind of the schedule, but we're, we're, uh, uh, we're going through the Disciple Makers. I think we've got three or four more sessions here on Wednesday night. Uh, and so uh, here we go. Everybody say amen. Matthew 28. How many of you know that last few verses? It's called the great what? The great commission. And, it, and it's, it's Jesus famous, if you will, last words. I don't know. You know, if we could choose our last words and Jesus was able to do that because, you know, his last words on the cross were what? It is finished. But then he rose again, so he got some more last words. Uh, and these are among his famous last words. Uh, man, that sounds like a series somehow, famous last words. Uh, if you could choose your last words, uh, you know, when you left, you, you probably wouldn't say, could you change the channel? I mean, something like that. I mean, could you, you probably wouldn't say, you know, what time is it? Or, you know, uh, what's on TV tonight? You would think of something profound and something impacting. Uh, and so, uh, that's what Jesus did. And, and the Great Commission, uh, is some of his famous last words. And it, and as you know, even though I haven't turned there, it's really the call to make disciples. He said, go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. And how does he say to do it? He, he says, in fact, he says, and Jim may hit this a little bit next week. He said, all authority 
is, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That means all people groups. We'll kind of look at that from a different angle in just a moment. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, how many of you know you can't teach something you haven't learned? And so this is what we're doing tonight. This is what our life is. It's a lifestyle of learning. But the learning is for the purpose of making disciples. And if you're filling out the notes tonight, uh, hey, and did I not send a PowerPoint? Oh, man, did I not do that? No kidding. Yeah, that's terrible. I did all this notes and then didn't send the PowerPoint. I'm just, see, I'm not a very good multitasker. So you got notes. That's good. Sorry, Ike. Uh, I'll do better next time. Uh, so it's t- we've just said, I mean, his famous last words, uh, the Great Commission and making disciples is top priority. That should be the top priority for our life, you know, is to reproduce. And I gave you three words a number of weeks ago that kind of uh, really define this. Uh, it's, uh, it's, and I'll just give them to you because I won't re-preach them or reteach them. Uh, true disciples by their very nature because they're followers after Christ. They will model, they will mentor, and then they will multiply. Everyone say, model, mentor, multiply. Give me some cadence. Model, mentor, multiply. Model, mentor, multiply. Get that in your head. That's who we are. And that's the responsibility we have as followers of Christ. Because if we're follow, true followers of Christ, you, it'll, the same thing will happen to you that Jesus said would happen to his disciples. What did he say to his first century disciples? Follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. That is disciple makers. Amen. That's the purpose of God for our life. And when it comes to the priority of God uh, for the church, which is making disciples, most believers are oblivious to the obvious. If you can spell oblivious, you can fill it in. O-B-L-I-V-I-O-U-S. They're oblivious to the obvious. What's obvious? We are supposed to be disciple makers. Are you with me? Say amen. And so back when we introduced this, I said we need a revelation in our life. We need a revelation in order to fulfill the Great Commission, the revelation that we, uh, that God has called us and empowered us and equipping and is equipping us, uh, to become disciple makers. You look at Acts chapter nine, Paul had a revelation of Jesus. And when you have a revelation of Jesus in your life, you will begin to understand the purpose of God for your life. And uh, gosh, if you want to look at these again, you can. But Galatians 1 and verse 11 through 20, he talks about the purpose of God for our life to make to be an influence in the earth, to make disciples, to preach the gospel, so on and so forth. And then in Ephesians 1, 17, we won't turn there, of course, he prays for us. That we, in fact, we'll be in Ephesians. In fact, if you wanted to slip over to Ephesians in a little bit, it's hard for me to get out of that book, especially when it comes to what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, he said this. He said he prayed for us that we would have the revelation of God in our heart concerning Jesus. So we need our eyes open and our ears open and a, a realization. And as disciples, in order to make disciples, 
we must realize. How many of you know what it means to realize? What it, let's think about, I, I'm just off the top of my head. When you realize, let me just tell you, uh, let me use Donnie and Carmen. You know, when they say I do here in a few weeks, really a couple months, when they say I do, there's going to come a light going to come on. Donnie, the next morning or two, he's going to, the light's going to come on. He said, he's going to go, OMG, I'm now a husband. He's going to real, he's going to become fully aware. That's what it means to realize, to become fully aware. And so here's kind of how this outline goes. If we're going to be disciple makers, there's some things we need to become fully aware of. And what did I say a few moments ago? Uh, when it comes to uh, making disciples, uh, most believers are oblivious to the obvious. They're just oblivious to this, the, the reality that God wants us to reproduce after like kind and to model, mentor, multiply. Say it, model, mentor, multiply. And so that's, and, and really for the next few Wednesday nights, this is, will be fill in the blank as disciples. In order to make disciples, we must realize or become fully aware of that we must be, and then there'll be a topic. And last, not last Wednesday, because we were picnicking last Wednesday, uh, out at the park. Uh, but the week before that, uh, I was, uh, on a little mini va- birthday vacay. Whoop, whoop, whoop. And, and Josh introduced the first point. And here it was. Uh, Josh shared in order to, b- to be a maker of disciples, we must realize that we must be euthanized. E-U-T-H-A-N-I-Z-E-D. Now that's just no fun to talk about. Uh, but, and it's no fun to experience. But once it happens, new life can come. What does it mean to be euthanized? It means to be put to death. Jesus, in a sense, even before he died on the cross, was put to death to himself. He died to himself. If you remember him in the garden, did you know he died in the garden before he ever really died on the cross? What? Not physically, but he died in a sense, or he, 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 he crucified himself all over again. You know, the first time he died to himself, if you, if you just want to get real, uh, you know, detailed is when, when God asked him to come to earth and leave heaven. And so he made a choice. Yes, I'll do that. Uh, he, he didn't come against his will. How many of you know, uh, I believe Jesus had free will just like we did. And he chose to die, if you will, to his, the, the beauty and the glory of eternity, come to earth, live as a man, all God, all man. And then there in the garden, he prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but what? Your will be done. So he, in a sense, crucified himself in the garden, in the prayer garden, before he ever was crucified on Golgotha. And then we read, of course, in a lot of places, Romans 6, where Paul says, we're buried with him through baptism unto death, raised to walk in newness of life. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 21, Paul said this. Everybody say this, I die daily. Everybody say it, I die daily. I think, I think that becomes, uh, uh, something of, uh, that we'd kind of miss. But in fact, Beverly told me this about someone she knows that every, every day, most of every day, this friend of Beverly's takes communion every day. You say, well, that sounds kind of, well, how many of you know 
that's really a recognition of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And really, if you get right down to it, it's a, it's a crucifixion of self. I, I lean upon the cross and Calvary. Not my, everybody say, not my will, but your will be done. So that was point one, and Josh probably did a great job. I haven't had time to listen. How many of you heard Josh share that message a couple Wednesday nights ago? Amen. And tonight, here we go, point number two. Here's where I'm going to stay for a while, and if you're in Matthew chapter 18, let me turn over, or Matthew 16, let me get over there. Matthew 16, here it is. In order to become disciple makers, not only must we be euthanized, but we as a church family and believers in the family of faith must become synthesized. S-Y-N-T-H-E-S-I-Z-E-D. This is a great word. I'm really excited about this word. Once I began to pull it apart, it's really what the body of Christ is all about. And here's what this word means. Combining of different elements into a coherent whole. The combining of different elements into a coherent whole. And that, my friend, is the church. The church, the body of Christ, must become synthesized, different elements into a coherent whole. Now, are you in Matthew 16? If you're in Matthew 16, I'm say I'm there, Pastor. Matthew 16, look down in verse 18. He says this. Oh, I'll back up to verse 17. Uh, oh, and in fact, just for the greater context, he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And uh, uh, he said, some say I'm the, uh, who, who do you say that I the son of man am? And uh, they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? So they were saying, well, let me tell you what everybody else is saying. You know, a lot of times when you don't know what to say, well, let me just tell you what somebody else said. Uh, you know, and I guess that's a good uh, default. But he, he, he pressed them, but who do you say that I am? And, and, and Peter piped up. He didn't pick a peck of pickled peppers. He just piped up. Peter piped up, and he says, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus said to him, he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, what did Peter have? Just like what I said, he had a what? He had a revelation. In fact, look what Jesus said. He said, uh, uh, and I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, he's not talking about building his church on Peter. Peter was named, he changed his name to Peter, which is rock. But he wasn't talking about upon this rock, a little r. He's talking about the revelation that Peter had. Upon this rock of revelation of who I am, I will do what? Build my what? He said, I'll build my church. Everybody say, the, say church. And then he said this, and the gates of hell or Hades shall not prevail against it. Now the word church, the Greek there is ekklesia. Everyone say ekklesia. It means in its base form, the called out ones. Everyone say the called out ones. Now, let me just kind of build this for you. Because if you go back, uh, if you go fast forward to Matthew 28, when he's talking his famous last words, he's commissioning not just his disciples, but uh, all of us, we are his church. 
And then in Acts chapter 2, after he wrote, uh, uh, you know, Acts chapter 2, before he ascended to the Father, he gave birth to the what? He gave birth to the church, the called out ones. And if you go to, Re- let me just flip over there. If you want to try to flip as fast as I can, you can. Revelations 5, 9, let me just tell you, and you get to the end of the book, you begin to see this church and it's, and, and kind of a, 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 a picture of the church, Revelation 5, 9, it says this, uh, and they sang a new song, you are worthy to take the scroll, this is heaven, the four and twenty elders, and to open its seals, for you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood, catch this, out of, everyone say out of, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And had made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign uh, on the what? Earth. Man, he's talking about the church. And when he says, when when he says, "I'll build my church," he's talking about a people uh, group that is from out from every tribe and tongue and nation. He's bringing us out of that and putting us under a new governance, and that's the governance of God in our life. And we become the church. And that, my friend, is one huge synthesizing effect in the world. He's taking us people from all backgrounds and, and what does it say, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and bringing us together and put us together in his kingdom and made us kings and priests to our God. There was a great synthesis. A coming together into a coherent whole. Think about this. Go back to, remember Genesis? What happened when, when the world was created? All the people spoke the same language, right? They were all speaking the same. But what happened? They started trying to build the tower of what? They were trying to, in fact, they were, they were doing such a good job. God said, I got to confuse them. I've got to give them different languages where they can't understand each other. So that's where all those languages began. But in the end, what's he doing? He's bringing them all back together. Somebody say amen. Come on, raise the roof. Say amen. And, and, and there's a, this has to happen globally, but it also has to happen locally. How many of you know the local churches are just pictures and little, little cells, if you will, of the, of the, the big enchilada? Are you with me? So there has to be in every local church and in, in some form, fashion, you know, in regions, there has to be a coming together, a combining of different elements into a coherent whole. And I'm telling you, when that begins to happen, what does Jesus say about this church? This church, the gates of hell will not prevail against this church. In other words, the kingdom of God will come and people out of every tribe and tongue and nation will be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ because because the church will begin to do her the, the the purpose of God, and that is make more disciples. Everyone say synthesized. So, man, I, I just love that in my. In fact, when you look at creation, creation declares the necessity of synthesis. Think about creation. Think about. I asked my wife this question, as if she remembers the answer. She had a pretty good answer. How much? of the world's surface area consists of water. 
Anybody know? Pardon me? 75, about 75%. Did I tell you that last night? You remembered? Okay, but you did good. I thought I told you. You trick, I might have said something. Beverly said about 80%, which is not a bad guess. But water. How many of you appreciate water? Water's necessary for our survival, correct? Without water. Interesting little insight. I'll spend a little time on water. Uh, think about the state of Texas and all the people that need water in the state of Texas. Did you know there's only one lake in the state of Texas that is not man-made. Anybody? I think I remember the name of it. You Buchanan, not Lake Buchanan. Caddo Lake. Caddo. I used to think it's Lake of the Pines, but it's Caddo Lake. It's a, the only natural lake. Now, the reason I bring that up is, how many of you know God knew there's going to be a lot of peeps in Texas? He knew there's going to be a lot of peeps in Texas. And he... And he didn't make enough man-made lakes for us all to have water. But what did he do? He gave us the wisdom to get the water. Somebody say amen. That's just a little side note for you. But water is something that has been synthesized because what is its, what is its uh, trademark? What are the letters? It is called H2O. What does that mean? H stands for what? There's two atoms of hydrogen, and then O, one atom of what? Oxygen. And when you put those two together, when they become synthesized, it gives us water. It makes me thirsty right now just thinking about it. It gives us water. So even creation, God, when he created the earth, in fact, there's probably so many other illustrations. If I was, if I was a, if I was really smart, I could find you, uh, uh, in fact, H2O, uh, I think hydrogen by itself can be very dangerous. I'm not sure, but, uh, you know, there are things that when you desynthesize, <laughs> I can't say it. When you take them apart, they, in many ways, do totally different things and sometimes can do very dangerous things. But when they're synthesized, I can't even say it, synthesize, there you go, something beautiful happens. And that's a picture of the church. Are you getting it? Say amen. Now, the New Testament is filled with illustrations of this synthesis, this synthesizing of people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And even, and you remember even in Acts, you remember in Acts when the Holy Spirit was poured out, what did all the people who were not a part of the, that first century church say? We hear them praising God in our own language. People from all these different tribes and tongues and I'm telling you, when God gave birth to the church by the power of the Holy Ghost, it was this huge synthesis of people from different backgrounds and walks of life coming together into a coherent whole. Let me tell you something, as the, as this world continues, I'm going to use this word in a loose sense, evolve, and it is evolving, and it's evolving in the wrong direction, if you will, the church of God becomes more and more important, and the really becomes the place where things make sense and become coherent. You look in the world. How many of you look in the news and you think, this world's gone dadgum crazy? 
Beverly and I are grieving. I'm just telling you, grieving right down the road, back behind Academy a couple of nights ago in the morning, a little 18-year-old mother who's seven months pregnant is brutally killed, and it just grieves our heart. I'm telling you, that's absolute lunacy. Well, the church is, it becomes more and more the place where things make sense and become coherent. You look at terror, all these terror attacks, it's just lunacy. And so, so much more need for us to be synthesized. So there's some great New Testament illustrations, uh, and, uh, I don't have my, I don't have my clock going. I could go all night. Oh, gosh, it's 7.53. I better hurry. Here we go. Let me give you some New Testament illustrations. Number one, the body. I'm, I love this one. Most, you should know this. I want you to see it in 1 Corinthians 12. Turn over there. First Corinthians, just a, Paul the apostle gave a, a number of different uh, illustrations. How many of you know a picture is worth a thousand words? Uh, and so he drew the picture of the body. In fact, uh, gosh, where should I jump in? There's so much I could say. Uh, uh, verse 12, for as the body is one, here comes the illustration, and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. There it is. And basically, when you read through this, and I would encourage you to read through it, he said, if you look to your own body, how you were made, that's a picture of how individual parts and pieces, God has brought them together and they have become synthesized. And he, he gives the illustration. He said, the hand can't say to the foot or the eye, I have no need of you. It's a body. And so Paul, the apostle uses this one, this wonderful illustration of the body as a picture of Christ where different members and different strengths and different gifts and different graces come together and, and they all come together to form the body, and he uses it. Now, go over to Ephesians. Take a right. Go to Ephesians. I want you to see this. I'm going to move quick because you guys are the fast learners here. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Look what he says. And he, that is God, put all things under his feet, that is Jesus, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his what? It's his body. And he, and he continues in, look in 2.16. Look what he says. Uh, he says this, that he might reconcile them both to God. That's Gentile and Jew. Reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Through Christ, through the cross, they came, they were synthesized. Amen. And no longer were they, was there schisms? And if you, we could go back to 1 Corinthians 12. Paul said, don't, there shouldn't be a schism in the body. So he brought us, brought them together. Uh, so in fact, gosh, turn over to 416 in Ephesians. Let me see, show you this. He says this, uh, Oh, let me go to verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body, he's talking about the church, joined and knit together by which every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part, in fact, that word joint is sinew and like, like tendons coming together. He said, what we, what we have within us uh, links us together as tendons link the different parts of the body together. Uh, in fact, Man, I tell you, you know, the Bible 
knew about biology before biologists knew about biology. That's just cool to me. And he says this, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by which every joint supplies every, every, uh, uh, in the sinew according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So you see how this synthesis when we come together. So he uses the body illustration to, to, to illustrate the necessity, the vital necessity that we, we come together. Different elements, different persons, different people, different gifts, different graces. And we come together and God synthesizes us into a coherent whole. And then in Ephesians, he uses another. It's like he's just exploding with this idea. Uh, He uses the building as an illustration. And he talks about construction. Uh, and so he says this in Ephesians 2, 19. He says, now, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens, we'll see that in a minute, with the saints, and members of the household of God, uh, we'll look at that in a moment, having been built, here it is, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together, there it is, synthesized, if you will, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are being built together for a dwelling place of God and the Spirit. So there's another huge illustration. Paul, he's trying to draw this picture for us of the vital necessity. If we're going to be what he wants us to be and do what he wants us to do, we gotta, we've got to to uh, be combined and melted together different elements into a coherent whole. And then I'll use that, that verse that I just read to you just a few moments ago, Ephesians 2.19. Another illustration is the citizenry, if you will. He says, we're no longer foreigners and strangers, but we're fellow citizens. We, we have a, a new governance in our life. And he uses that idea of citizenry. In fact, if we had um, in verse 12 over in chapter 2, he says, you're no longer aliens from the commonwealth of Israel uh, and strangers from the covenants of promise and having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near. He used that same kind of illustration uh, of being citizens and and uh, members uh, of the commonwealth of Israel. It's all governance-type terms. And then the last one, which I love, which uh, uh, Carmen and Donnie and I talked about, the illustration of family. Ephesians 2.19, I read it. He he. He talks about citizens, but then he says, and members of the household of God. That word household is okios, the Greek there. It's a domestic term. It's talking about being blood relatives. It's talking about kinfolk. Everybody say kinfolk. He uses the family illustration. And let me just say, how many of you, whether you like them or not, you got some kinfolk? I mean, you can't deny who your kinfolk are. In fact, I just have, I, it's a great story. If I have a friend of mine who's, who just retired from senior pastoring. Uh, he's in his late sixties. He had some health issues. Uh, and, uh, and he, he and his wife had a son, uh, but they didn't have a daughter. So they eventually went to Russia and, and adopted a little girl from Russia who's now grown and in college. And, uh, but they never had a, a, uh, a biological daughter. Well, in his before Christ years, he was a hippie. He was a doper. He was very immoral in his life. He was, uh, uh, what did, what did he call? I don't know what he, I mean, he was way out there somewhere, uh, before he got born again. And so 
And his early, his doper years were kind of a blur. Well, long story short, he gets a call from someone and she basically, I won't tell you the whole story, but she says, uh, I think you're my father. And uh, long story short, uh, they had a paternity, had a, and, they, and he found out that for 48 years he had a daughter that he never knew. And he also has grandkids that he never knew. And he posted pictures, and he and his actual, I mean, it just, he, his okios got bigger. And man, he's a happy guy. And I'm mean, just telling you, they already start calling him Pappy or something. So I just, it just, he said it was sad to think that it, for 48 years he didn't know he had a daughter, but it was great to know after 48 years that he did have a daughter, and now he's got grandkids. And so that's just a little, and this is the term that Paul uses. And man, when you think about your Okios and your family, whether you, whether you like them or not, with, with all their, the, with all their, Unique. Let me just say this. How many of you got some people in your Okios that are very unique? All right. You got some unique people in your Okios. How many of you, some people in your Okios, you'd like to punch them right in the Oki eye? You just, I mean, you just, oh, they need some, uh, it, but they're still family, right? It's interesting to me in the church, we don't quite get that. And people get offended and leave, and they divorce. Let me just th- say this. I've been meditating on this in my head. The spirit of divorce that is in the earth is bled off into the church and then watered down the commitment level of the okios and the family of faith. If we treated our spouses like people treat their brothers and sisters and don't show it, it'd be like me saying to Beverly, say, Beverly, uh, I love you. I'm going to go uh, to the lake and I'll be back, and don't show back up for a month. And then show back up, hey, how's it going? Good to see y'all. Boom. I mean, that's just whacked. But that mindset is prevalent in, in our present culture, and people can divorce their spouse, and they can divorce their church without a blink of an eye. Now, I know there are good reasons to make changes. I mean, if you know... There are biblical reasons to get a divorce, but most divorce is, is, can be helped and healed and made whole, and there are exceptions to every rule. So there's some New Testament illustrations that are just phenomenal and that, and, and that teach us one overarching principle that, that the church, if we're going to fulfill his kingdom purpose, we've got to come together, a calling out from my own, uh, my own. And think about Peter. He was there fishing and they're just fishermen. What did God do? He called them out. Okay. And then there's the tax collector. He's different kind of character altogether. Matthew called him out and, and put them together and synthesize them. And you know what happened on Pentecost Sunday? Uh, even though Peter was the preacher, it says all those guys stood up together. They did it together. They were standing there together because they were in it together. Man, I'm preaching. I'm supposed to be teaching. Lord, help me. I got. I should take this to Sunday morning. This is working good. In fact, you might hear some of this. And so, wow, it's just ooh, I feel this. Would y'all mind if if I use these four thoughts and that one big thought on a Sunday morning? 
Because I think there's some people that slip in and out on Sunday morning need to hear what I just said about the priority uh, of being synthesized. You know what? And, and, this, and this is a different term. Most people have been desynthesized in their hearts and heads. Okay. All right. You go tell somebody that. <laughs> All right. Now, in the modern-day culture, this is called teamwork. But it's the same thing in a lot of, in a lot of ways. In modern day, you look at, you, you just read anything about, you know, leadership and, and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, business. They're, they're building teams. Okay. It's teamwork. Everybody says teamwork makes a dream work. It really is. And, and a, and a true team that operates together, any sport. Okay. It's good to be able to play different positions, but every position is important, and, and just like the body, uh, and, and so all of it has to work together. How many of you would be ridiculous if, uh, you know, at the Houston Astros, who, by the way, are doing really well, if they took all their pitchers and just put them all in the outfield and in the infield and just said, we're going to let our pitchers all play in the game more? Well, that would be great. No, because there's... All different parts are important, and it's teamwork, okay? So with that, let me just give you some teamwork thoughts here that I just kind of, that are certainly biblical, uh, that just kind of thinks to help you. Our identities are best realized within the whole. Our identities and your identity and my identity are best realized within the whole. Let me let me give you the illustration. Gosh, if you could go back to uh, verse uh, of to Corinthians 12 and look at the body. How many of you know, uh, when the ear needs the hand, man, the hand, and all these parts are important. And so people think when they go to the church, well, I'm going to lose my identity. We're all going to be synthesized into and morphed into something. No, our, you read first Corinthians 12. We all have individuality. We all have our own gifting and gracing. We all have our place and each. And when we understand that, our identity becomes more profound and more realized when you plug into the body of Christ and begin to understand your gifting and gracing and who you are in Christ. Man, we find out that there's great unity and diversity. Are you with me? Amen. And even our experience, we, we teach this in our, uh, in our uh, Connect course uh, about your understanding who you are. Even your life experiences help shape you. You remember shape, spiritual gifts, your heartbeat, A, your abilities, S-H-A-P, your personality, E, your life experiences, your shape, all those things. How many of you know there's only one you? I mean, even if you're identical, you have identical twins. We've got two twins here. They're not, are they, would you consider them identical? Drake and Damien, they're identical, but I, I, I Amanda's going, I know the difference. <laughs> They've been living with her for how long now? Since March. Y'all lift your hand towards Amanda. She needs our prayers. Lord, help her. Uh, you know, even though they're identical, maybe in some ways, they have distinct personalities and differences. And so uh, our identities are best realized within the whole. Think about that. Yeah, your you is really important to the family of faith. And number two, kind of a teamwork thing. Our abilities are best realized within the whole. 
Well, I don't have any abilities. Well, Peter said, we all have gifts and abilities. We just need to discover them. And that's why we teach the shape. And, and our abilities come to the forefront. I'm looking to my, I'm not looking to my left, but it, without even looking, I see this beautiful cross. Now, we take it down and put it up at different times. And Jim put it up for Easter. And we've left it up, which has just be, kind of become a staple there. But Jim made the cross, and, or he put it all together. And we, I think we had the cross, but he, he's got a talent with wood and metal and things in his hands. He's a carpenter. <laughs> Beverly, you're so good. Uh, and it's the same way with who we are. Let me just say, I'll, I'll pick on Donnie. Donnie, you have abilities and talents you may not have discovered yet, but you've got to discover them and the giftings of God. Uh, uh, you're mechanically inclined. That might be you need to help the pastor with his brakes on his car. I don't know. It's just a thought. I, I, it just came to me. But within the body of Christ, our ability, when team, you know, when you go to the baseball thing, you know, gosh, the Astros, whoo, abilities. And everybody has their strengths, right? We got to, I mean, they all have abilities and without each individual's ability and their abilities become just profoundly realized. Okay. And the cool part is if somebody's having a down moment or a downtime, that's why they have a bullpen. They don't just have one pitcher. They have many pitchers because, and, and, and even within the pitchers, each pitcher has, has a unique strength even in that ability. And they use different pictures, pitchers for, some are left-handed. Some have a better fastball. Some better have a better curve. Somebody have a better slider. And they, they, they're so, I mean, they pull up a batter who they know, oh, he doesn't handle the left-handed Picture slide. I, I don't. I don't understand all of that. They, it's and so they use their unique abilities even within the rank of pitcher. So, uh, so that's cool. And then number three, another teamwork thing. Our capacities are multiplied through collective combining of the whole. Our capacity. How many of you know the scripture teaches one can chase a thousand, but two what? Ten thousand. In other words, there, and I use this phrase, but I don't think it's actually grammatically correct. There's a multiplicity of effectivity when we come together. And in fact, in prayer, what does it say? Where two or more gathered and, you know, with one agrees, you know, and all those things. Here's what I was thinking about. I love this one. You don't have to turn there. But in John 21, you know, remember the story, the resurrected Christ walks back into the disciples' life. They're back where? They're back at the Sea of Galilee. They've gone back to fishing for fish rather than fishing for men. They're confused. They're a little scattered. They didn't understand uh, this crucifixion. They couldn't get it all down. And the resurrected Christ walks back into their life. And Peter sees him uh, on the shore and they see him. And Peter says, it is the Lord. And he jumps out of his boat. In fact, first thing he says, he put on, he was down to his drawers. Did y'all know that? And the Bible says he put on his outer cloak. I, I would think he would have done it the other way. I wouldn't want to have swam to shore in the outer garment. But that's what he did in respect to the Lord. And he swam to shore. And Jesus, in the middle of all this, had said, let down your nets on the other side for a catch. You remember that? 
So Peter, he says, I'm out of here. I'm not fishing. I got some things I got to deal with, with the Lord. And he swam to shore. And you know what it says the rest of the disciples did? Here's this net breaking, boat sinking, loaded. All the other disciples from other boats uh, came together. I said they, I said they came together and, and they, and their capacity, no one person could have brought in the harvest. But when they came together, they were able to reap an abundant, overwhelming, supernatural harvest. That's what teamwork will do. That's what the, 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 the power of synthesis will do in our life. Okay. You got it. Say amen. Now I'm going to bulletproof. I'm going to bullet point some of these because it's 813. Biblical, biblical binding agents from the book of Ephesians. In other words, things that bring us together, things that bind us. Uh, uh, how many of you know when you build a brick house, you need mortar? You need things, you know, when you, and so things that bind. Paul alluded to that with the body, the sinew, the, the, the joints, the, the tendons that come together, that link us together. Let, with, and I'm just going to kind of hit them. You can look at them more. The shedding of blood. Ephesians 1 7 says this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. And Guster's other verses, verse two, chapter two, verse 13, verse 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by which is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. You were strangers and aliens. Look down in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus who, catch this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near. That is drawn together, come together, synthesized by the blood of Christ. So the blood of Jesus binds us. Number two, the empty tomb. It brings us together and binds us. Ephesians 2, 5, and 6. Even when we, everybody say we. That's plural. Even when we were dead in trespasses, uh, trespasses, he made us alive. How? Somebody say together. We were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. Where did he do that? Look down at verse 6. Raised us up, what? Together. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ further brings us together and synthesizes us together. And then here's another one. The eternal purpose of God. Ephesians 3, verse 8 through 12. Uh, it says this, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all uh, see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God, now catch this, there's the revelation we were talking about, might be made known by the who? The church the revelation of Jesus by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places according to and in accordance with the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, just for the sake of knowing, the eternal purpose of God is for the humanity to be born again and come back into right relationship with God. That's why Jesus came. 
and the eternal purpose. How many of you know even enemies, when they have a common uh, purpose, can come together? Right? And so the eternal purpose of God binds us. Here's one. Uh, the, gosh, this would be a great Sunday morning series too. Whoo! Uh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You read Acts 1 and 2. He said, man, you got to have that. And man, when that Holy Spirit came upon them, they were synthesized. They were worshiping together in different tongues. They were ministering together. They started, in fact, the uh, people who had came that come there just for the, for the, 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 oh gosh, was it tax? I can't remember. They all came together. Uh, uh, and so, uh, once they did and the church was born, many of them never went home. They were synthesized. The church began to grow. And then here's another one, another binding agent. It's the giftings and encouragement of others. Ephesians 4, I read it just a little bit ago, verse 16. Uh, the, the supply that we have, the gifting that we have, what does it do? It causes growth of the body. And, and, and it, whatever joint supplies, it, it links us together. The giftings of others. Are you with me? Say amen. And the encouragement of others. I love verse 19 of chapter 5. Uh, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Uh, and giving thanks. That's the influence and encouragement of others binds us. And then here's one in Ephesians 6. Another binding agent is the common enemy that we all have, and that is the powers of darkness. And look what it says. Finally, my brethren, not just one person, all of us, be strong in the Lord. And then he says, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, power, spiritual forces, blah, blah, blah. What's he saying? We have a common enemy, and this common enemy should bring us together as, as spiritual soldiers in the family of faith. Are you with me? Say amen. And you can fill in this last one. The Great Commission will never be fully realized until the body of Christ becomes fully synthesized. Let me make it local. We'll never make our greatest impact. No, any local church will never make their greatest impact as far as making disciples until they until they're synthesized, till they get come together. And that's why one of the first of our four tenets of the mission of our church is we're called to gather, and then we're called to grow. We're called to give, and we're called to go. Whoo! Next week, Jim's going to talk about the fact that we must, must be authorized. We have to embrace the authority of God in our life as believers in order to fulfill his great commission. Are you with me? Say amen. I don't know if you had fun, but I did. It's 819. Let's stand up together and let's ask God to help us. And once again, be a disciple makers. Father, I thank you for the word of God. And Lord, let the synthesis, let the blood of Christ, the resurrection uh, uh, of Christ, the empty tomb, your eternal purpose, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the giftings and encouragement of others, and, and, and then even our, our enemy that we face. Lord, let us use these things to come together and become more fully synthesized for your eternal purpose. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. God bless you. Love one another.